Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Acts and chapter number 12 this morning and I want to say thankful for some opportunities that we've had here to be able to minister in the community. Thursday, uh, we were invited to Stonehill College's Feed Your Faith uh, time, uh, getting to present the church to new college students. And I will say the food trucks were very popular uh, that were there. That's what they had food trucks as well as different churches. And so we were able to go out and hand out uh, gospel tracts over there. And so it certainly was a wonderful time to be able to do so. Uh, also thankful we uh, applied and were accepted to be able to actually broadcast on Easton's Community Access Television Station and just was able to do so for the first time just a few days ago. Uh, ECAT, if you're familiar with it, uh, I, we are actually doing our Liberty at Home uh, that I used to do on my phone here at the church. Uh, we're actually doing it once a week at the TV station and broadcasting it from there, and they will be broadcasting it not just on the TV station, but maybe even more importantly, online on YouTube. And so we'll be able to link to that as well. And it's a really good production value. You got to use a teleprompter, which means I had to write uh, everything out, but it was a very interesting experience for sure. And that should be coming out, Lord willing, this week. And we're gonna do uh, one a week and the town is broadcasting it for free. I mean, what an opportunity that is to be able to think about it. And so thankful. And then just a wonderful day of visits yesterday. And as I mentioned in Sunday school, uh, almost nobody was home, but it was still a wonderful day nonetheless to be able to go out and let people know that uh, Jesus Christ loves them. And so uh, always thankful for the ministry opportunities that God has for us here in Easton. And boy, I tell you, the more I think uh, that, uh, you, know, you know, where are we going to get more visits? Who are we going to see? That the Lord opens up the we got a lot of people to see and a lot of places to go and a lot of people to tell about Jesus Christ. I'm so very thankful for that. Well, we are in Acts chapter 12 here this morning, and we are continuing moving forward in prayer. And as we talked about last week, we all could move forward in our prayer life. And there's all there's room for all of us to grow in our prayer life. And so I'm going to start with this illustration this morning. It's one that you've heard me read before in maybe a little bit of a different variation, but it's a variation on a theme. And so if you've never heard it before, well, then, well, this is the first time. And if you have heard it before, just smile and nod like you have never heard it before. That would be appreciated. There was once a story about a small farming community that had been experiencing a terrible drought. The crops were dying in the fields and everyone was very worried because this is how they made their living. The pastor of the local church called a special prayer service for all the people of the town to gather in front of the church and spend some time agreeing in faith that God would send rain. Many people arrived and you could sense the seriousness among the crowd. As the pastor was getting ready to begin the meeting, he noticed a young girl standing quietly in the front. Her face was beaming with excitement and then he saw beside her, open and ready for use, was a large, colorful umbrella. As he stared at the umbrella, he was a little ashamed that he did not bring one himself, but also felt such a certain sudden surge of hope and confidence. This little girl's childlike innocence warmed his heart as he realized how much faith she possessed. Though the town had come together to pray for rain, it seemed that no one else had thought that maybe they should bring an umbrella to keep from getting wet. You know, obviously this is an illustration, but I do think it highlights an important truth for us this morning. It's this. I feel that there's often a disconnect between our theology and reality. There's often a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we actually practice. And maybe nowhere is this so stark as it is in our prayer life. Because if I was to say to you this morning, 
Do you believe God can do anything? I believe the answer would be a resounding yes. I believe your theology is such, if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, your theology is such that if I was to ask, do you believe God could do anything, that everybody would say yes, like Ralph, amen? I like that. But if I was to say, do we pray that way, asking him to do great things? I believe far fewer would say yes. But if I was to drill even deeper and say this, from those people who said yes the second time, when you pray asking God to do great things, do you actually believe he'll do it? I imagine even fewer would raise their hands. Oftentimes, I believe our prayers are short, they're shallow, and they rarely scratch the surface. When they do, we're often shocked if God actually answers them. God encourages us to pray big prayers. But as my friend Paul Chapman said here in this pulpit a couple years ago, we often shrink our prayers down to the size a rich man could answer, let alone an almighty God. But we do serve an almighty God. And he does want us to pray big prayers. And he wants us to believe that he can answer those prayers in his will, but it requires that we have faith in that which we pray. The title of my message this morning comes from what happens here in Acts chapter 12 at a prayer meeting where people were surprised that God did what they actually prayed for. Imagine that. So the title of my message is this, Not So Great Expectations. Not So Great Expectations. If I was to give it a subtitle, it would be this, Big Needs and Little Prayers. Big Needs and Little Prayers. Would you stand please with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to cover much of chapter 12, but we're only going to read to begin with the first five verses. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse number one, where it says this, now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Thank the Lord that in Peter's most desperate hour, there were some people in the church who were praying. But yet we're going to find out here in just a moment that even though they were praying, their expectations of what God would do weren't as great. And I hope it'll be an encouragement to us this morning to not just pray big prayers, but to believe that God can answer those prayers. Heavenly Father, be with us as we continue in your word this morning and help us be encouraged and strengthened in our prayer life and our faith in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Our text tells us that Herod Agrippa, who was the grandson of the Herod when Jesus was born, not the same Herod that we see here, but the grandson of the Herod when Jesus was born. Herod Agrippa has decided to persecute the church. And this in the book of Acts is the first time that we find that the Roman Empire is the one persecuting the church. Before, it was the Jews who were persecuting the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, men like Saul, who would later become Paul, were persecuting the church. But now it's the Roman Empire who has now put its focus firmly on the church of God there in Jerusalem. And verse number two tells us that because it pleased the Jews that James, the brother of John, was put to death. And this was foretold before to us in Mark 10, verses 38 and 39, where it says, But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? 
And they said, meaning James and John, we can. And Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I'm baptized with, without shall ye be baptized. And Jesus was foretelling to James and John the manner uh, of where their life would go. And for James, that meant uh, that it would be martyrdom, and he was the first uh, martyr of the apostles that we find. And Peter is next on the chopping block. He is the next one to be persecuted after James, the brother of John, is put to death. And it says that during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he is arrested and he is sent unto death. But as it was a few chapters ago, we find that the apostles were already arrested and that God intervened in such a way that they were released. And so Herod is not leaving anything to chance, so to speak. And we find at verse number four that there were some exceptional uh, things that were put into place to make sure that Peter would stay in prison. It says, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in a prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers. That would mean that there were 16 different guards who were keeping watch on him in various stages and in various shifts. And we also see that it says he was bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So it almost reminds us of what Pilate did when he told those who came and said that, uh, that Jesus' body would be stolen away. He said, make it as sure as you can. Uh, and in the same way we see here in verse number four that Herod Agrippa is going to try to do everything he can to make sure that Peter stays there in that prison and that uh, he will also die with the sword uh, the next day. But verse number six, which we did not read, tells us this. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So there's uh, two things that we see here. Uh, first of all, the idea uh, that, boy, he was so watched over that literally he was chained on one side and the other by guards. These aren't just passive guards. These are active guards that are watching over him. But I love the fact that Peter has a death sentence on his head and he's getting a good night's sleep. Think about that for just a moment. This isn't my message, but it's a reminder of the peace of God that is placed upon those who serve Jesus Christ. And Psalm 3, verses 1 through 5 came to mind as I was reading this, where it says, Lord, how are they increased to trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and I slept. I awake for the Lord sustained me. And here is Peter in this very desperate situation. He has a guard on one side and a guard on the other. He's chained up. There's guards on the outside. There's uh, four quaternions. There's four shifts of these men that are coming around to make sure that he will not escape. He's going to die very likely by the sword the next day at the hand of wicked King Agrippa. And here he is getting a good night's sleep. That could only be attributed to the peace of God, which, by the way, was not something that was just exclusive to Peter. The peace of God is available to you today as we live the life that Jesus Christ has called us to live. We're able to have peace with God, not just peace with God for salvation when we call upon him to save us, but peace with God in our everyday life as we continue to walk in the way that he calls us to walk. But then... As all of this is taking place, verse 5 tells us that there is some prayer that's going on in the church of God. That knowing that Peter is about to be unjustly put to death, the people of God there in the church of Jerusalem have now convened together in a prayer meeting. And verse number 5 says, But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. 
Now, they prayed without ceasing. And that phrase is an interesting one. Now, of course, we understand without ceasing means they didn't stop. They would continue to pray. This was a prayer meeting. And we're going to see here as we continue to read that this was a group that had convened together. Now, certainly, I'm sure they prayed when they were separate in their homes as well. But they had convened together for the sake of praying. Uh, I don't know exactly what it looked like or how it would have come together. But we do know in a moment there's going to be a group of people who are all praying together in one place. But if you dig into the Greek a little bit more and to look at that phrase without ceasing, it's literally the idea of, of being earnest. And the word picture that you could find here is someone who stretches all the way that they can for something. You ever been maybe sitting down in a chair or something like that and you drop something and you really don't want to get up to pick it up? And what do you do? You stretch and you stretch it. And maybe you're so close to getting it. And you just stretch every muscle that you possibly can. And it's so close. You maybe even grab something else to try to stretch it a little further and try to tap it closer to you because you're so desperate. You could have gotten out of your chair five times by now, but you don't want to do that. And so you stretch and you stretch until every fiber is like, I could just go a little bit more. If I just stretch a little bit more and then, you know, something pops. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you, you want to be careful. You don't stretch too much. But uh, the idea of praying without ceasing in the Greek is the idea that they were stretching every muscle and every fiber. They were leaving nothing on the field. They were literally giving everything that they had. The church convened and said, Peter is in a bad way. And we're not just going to pray. We're not just going to pray without ceasing. We're going to pray in such a way that we're going to stretch ourselves that we are going to be literally to the limit, to the point where we cannot do anymore. That's some kind of prayer. And I would say it's a kind of prayer that maybe we can't even relate to this idea or, or maybe you've had a time in your life or an experience in your life where you were just so deep and you were, you were so deep down and so hurt or you had such a great need that, that, that you just prayed without ceasing. It's just the, the spirit of, prayer, of prayerfulness never left you, but you were just striving. You were stretching. You didn't, you didn't want to watch anything on TV. You didn't want to read anything. You didn't want to really talk to anybody. What you really wanted to do was take every waking moment and put all of that into prayer. That's what we see here. That's some kind of prayer. It's a blessing to be able to pray to that extent. You know what? I got good news for you today. God hears the prayers of his people. Aren't you glad that God hears the prayers of his people? If you're one of his people, you ought to be glad that God hears his prayers, your prayers. And so look at what happens in verse number seven. It says, and behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up and saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell from off his hands. So what happens? These chains that he's attached to these guards fall off. And this angel comes and says, Hey, hey, sleeper, get up. It's a jailbreak. You got to get ready to go. Verse 8, And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And he did and saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, 
but he thought he saw a vision. He thought he was asleep still. He thought either he was seeing something that maybe the Lord was giving him a vision. Perhaps he thought it was a dream. We don't know, but he really wasn't understanding that what was happening was reality. All he knows is he's walking through gates. He's walking past guards. Nobody's stopping him. Nobody's looking at him. And the next thing he knows, we find out in verse 10, when they were past the first and the second ward, they came up to the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And the Greek word of, of his own accord, that phrase is really one Greek word, uh, which is automatos, which means this, it automatically opened. It's like going to the grocery store and the store just kind of slide open. You remember years ago when we thought that was like a marvel of technology, uh, when the doors are just open for you, take it for granted now, and he just walks up to these iron gates and what do they do? They automatically open. That's only the Lord. The prayers of his people, the prayers of his saints, uh, asking for Peter's protection, and he has been released from prison. What an amazing thing this is. Uh, double chains, double jailers, double keepers, and double the wards couldn't keep God from accomplishing his purpose and answering the requests of his people. And if God is determined to have something to be done, there is nothing that mankind can do to stop it. And it's a blessing to know that here are these people praying for something that, humanly speaking, made no sense. But they're praying for Peter. They're praying for his protection. They're praying for something to happen. But they know this, that they're just asking God to do something. And God does something only God can do. But this is where the story takes an interesting turn. Because Peter shakes himself off and he goes to a woman's house who is named Mary. And we're told in verse number 12 that she's the mother of John Mark, who will eventually travel with Paul and actually be the writer of the gospel of Mark. And look at what it says in verse number 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of a gate, of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter's stood before the gate. So there's a prayer meeting for Peter and he knocks at the door and Rhoda opens the door and sees Peter or really it says uh, she opened it not, this idea, just knowing that he's there, he left the, she left the fugitive outside and runs back inside and says, you're not going to believe it. It's Peter. And they said, verse 15, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what we have prayed for. Oh, good, you're following along your Bibles because some of you are saying, oh, Pastor, you really are confused today. No, I knew I said that wrong that time. And they said unto her, thou art mad. No, no, not angry. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. But she can constantly affirmed that it was even so. No, you have to believe me. It's Peter that's outside, Rhoda. There's no way that that could be the case. Do you know what you're suggesting? I know what you probably think about me, but I'm telling you, it's Peter. He's outside. We can't leave him on the street. Well, they said, it probably is his angel. Probably looks like Peter, but it can't actually be Peter. But verse 16, he's still outside. Anyone go let me in? Is anyone planning on letting me come inside? But Peter continually knocking, 
And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto him how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the other brethren. And he departed and went into another place. And we could read the end of the chapter, but let's just put it this way. Herod is surprised. Herod doesn't understand how this could have happened. And by the end of the chapter, Herod is dead. And Peter's very much alive. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the chapter ends in such a stark contrast to how it begins. Herod, so haughty. Herod, the persecutor of believers, is the one who's dead. And Peter is very much alive. But verse 15 is certainly this idea, thou art mad, uh, this couldn't be the case, is even more unusual when we consider the fact that they were praying for Peter. Now, we don't know necessarily, specifically, they were praying for his release, but we do know they were praying for him. They were praying for his protection. They were certainly seeing God do amazing miracles over the last few months, and not just when Jesus was here for those three years on the earth, but as well as afterwards, they saw Pentecost. They saw the things that happened afterwards. They saw people continuing to be healed. They saw lives continually changed. It should not be a surprise to them that God would have done something like that. But here they are praying that God would do something, and when he did it, they said, no, it can't be. Think, think about how strange that is. But yet, realize this isn't the only time this happened in the Bible. Could I present to you the people of Israel living in Egypt? Lord, bring us a deliverer. Lord, bring us someone that will help us. We're in bonds here in Egypt and we're treated so harshly. Send us someone. He sends Moses. And they said, well, we want someone to deliver us, but not you. Oh, sure, I mean, he can throw a rod on the ground and make it a snake. But, you know, all kinds of people could do that. God answered their prayer. And they said, well, we don't think so. Could I bring your mind to the beginning of the book of Luke where there's two elderly people, Elizabeth and Zacharias, who have been praying for a child, been praying for a child for many years. The Bible says the angel comes and says, Elizabeth will be with child. And Zacharias had no belief that that would be the case, even though the scripture tells us that that would be, the, that that had been what they were praying for. And so we realize that Zacharias no longer could speak until he wrote on the tablet after the boy's birth, his name is John, who we know as John the Baptist. People who prayed for something but yet when the time came, didn't believe that God could actually do it. Psalm 5 verse 3 says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. In the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. See, when we pray, we need to look up and expect that God is going to bring an answer to our prayer. That doesn't always mean the answer is what we want it to be. But God will answer our prayer when we pray with a right heart before Him. Last week we talked about some of the things we had to make sure we 
needed to do in our lives before we prayed, like making sure we know Jesus Christ, our Savior, making sure our heart was pure before the Lord and confessing our sins. But we do need to know that when our heart is pure and right before God and we, we pray, we need to look up and expect that God will answer. When we pray for God to save souls, shouldn't we expect that He will save souls? When we pray for God to work in family situations, shouldn't we expect that He will do great things in our family? When we pray for our nation, shouldn't we expect that God can still do great things in our nation? When we pray for power uh, so that we can be ministers that God has called us to be, shouldn't we have the faith to know that God can do those things and will do those things within His will? But yet the problem is so often we look at those things that we see and we look at the difficulty. Wow! Four quaternions of soldiers, an inner ward and an outer ward, an iron gate. God can't do anything about that. And we realize that God was the one that created the soldiers and the iron for the chains and for the gates. That God can do whatever He wants. And if we pray and ask Him to do so, we should expect that God can answer those prayers. But here's the issue. And it boils down to this. We must pray in faith. As was already alluded to, that we must pray in faith. Even earnest prayer without faith leads to disappointment and disillusion. And some of you are already ahead of my message already today because I have James 5.15 right here in my Bible and 16 which says this, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. What happened? There was a prayer that was made in faith and casting all faith and all care upon the Lord. Lord, I'm giving this to you and I'm expecting that when you do great things that it is going to come to pass and I will give all glory and all honor and all praise to you and you alone. But the issue is we must couple faith with unceasing prayer to see God do great things. You see, faith and unceasing, that stretching prayer, faith and unceasing prayer have to be combined like a stick of dynamite and a fuse. You know, on their own, the stick of dynamite and the fuse can't do a whole lot. But together, it can change the landscape, can it? Great rocks have been turned into pebbles by the power of the dynamite. And so it is with prayer and faith that we must pray and believe that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And that requires faith. My question for us today is this. Do we have the faith to believe that God is the one who can answer our prayers. And if we don't have that type of faith, then wouldn't it just very naturally shrink our prayers down to the point of we pray the things that we think he can answer, which ends up being, like I mentioned before, those prayers that a rich man could answer? And is that really praying in faith? Certainly it's not. Maybe you've heard in the past of a man named George Mueller. George Mueller in the 1800s led countless souls to Christ, but he also led orphanages in the London area. George Mueller's life of faith started much younger. It says George Mueller went to college without knowing how he was to, going to pay for his tuition. 
He did something he thought was a bit silly for a grown man to do. He got on his knees and he asked God to provide. To his surprise, an hour later, a professor knocked on his door. He offered George a paid tutoring job. God was, uh, George was amazed. This was the beginning of George Mueller's dependence upon God. Later on in his life, there's a story that's recorded in a book called An Hour with George Mueller, the man of faith to whom God gave millions, published in 1939. It was said of George Mueller that he never asked for one shilling for any of his children's homes, that he always prayed in everything that was given. Now, God doesn't direct every ministry to work this way. I'm not saying that God has required us to do the same, but he felt led in his life to be able to do such. And God, through the simple faith and prayers of George Mueller, did things that I think almost seem mystical to us. This story goes like this, and I believe I might have read this in times past, but it's just so good. It, there's a story of, of a captain of a steamer who's relating a, a story of interacting with George Mueller. And he's, this captain said this. He said, there was a man of God on board, George Mueller of Bristol. I had been on the bridge for 24 hours and never left it. And I was startled by someone tapping on my shoulder. He said, it was George Mueller. Captain said he, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. This was Wednesday. It is impossible, I said. Very well, if your ship can't take me, God will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I've never broken an engagement in 57 years. He said, I would willingly help you, but I am helpless. Mr. Mueller said, let us go down to the chart room and pray. I looked at the man and I thought to myself, what kind of lunatic could this man be? I've never heard of such a thing. Mr. Mueller, he said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He went down on his knees and he prayed one of the most simple prayers. I thought to myself, that would suit a children's class where the children were not more than eight or nine years of age. The burden of his prayer was something like this. Oh Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement. You made me, you made you know the engagement you made for me in Quebec for Saturday. I believe it is your will. When he'd finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and he told me not to pray. First, he said, "You don't believe God will do it." And second, I believe he has already done it, and there is no need for you to pray about it. I looked at him and George Mueller said this, "Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years." and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain audience with the king. Get up, captain, open the door, and you will find the fog is gone. I got up, and it was as he said. On Saturday afternoon, George Mueller was in Quebec. Oh, pastor, that's just an old silly illustration. God doesn't do things like that. I would say more likely is this. We don't ask God to do things like that. We don't ask God to do things like that because we're afraid sometimes if we pray those prayers and they don't turn out the way that we think, that we'll feel that God's failed. We'll feel that God didn't have it in him to be able to do that which we've prayed. But I want to ask you this morning, what have you been afraid to pray because you don't want God to seemingly fail? Is it about a health diagnosis, something that has troubled you? 
something that maybe even has bedeviled the doctors and those who are caring for you? Could it be a family relationship that just never seems to be able to be reconciled? Could it be a financial need that seems just far beyond anything that you or anyone else can handle? I'll be honest with you, Diane and I felt the Lord's leadership in this area several months ago. And we had this plan of ours that we were going to ask God to do five things. And we were going to together pray and ask the Lord to do those five things. Those were our prayer requests together, among other things that we're praying for. But we wanted specifically these five things to be things that were so extraordinary that when they happened, we would know it had to have been the Lord. And we committed those things to prayer. And I won't let you know about all of those things. Some of them are very personal to us. I say that so far, three out of those five things, God has done things far beyond that I could have imagined. Could I share one of the prayer requests with you? The prayer request that we made in January is that the Lord would give us one visitor at Liberty Baptist Church every month. Now, you know what our church had, situation had been like last year. I thought, Lord, would you just give us one visitor every month? That's a total of 12 visitors for those of you that might have some math trouble like me. If you don't remember your order of operations, we found out a couple weeks ago. Could I tell you that God's brought more visitors in 2023 than any other year, including 2013, to Liberty Baptist Church. God answered the prayer of 12 visitors in one day at the 10th anniversary. And my thought was this, blessed be the name of the Lord, but my second thought was this, my faith was so small. My faith was so small. I, even when I thought I was praying a big prayer, I mean, one visitor every month for 12 months, 12 total visitors over an entire year, it's almost, God, it's almost as if God said, well, isn't that cute? Isn't that sweet that you would think that was the case? Many of you, believe it or not, are an answer to that prayer here today that we prayed. Don't often share private prayer requests of ours, but it was a reminder to me to ask God to pray big prayers. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. Now get this, because some of you might be questioning this a little bit. So, so pastor, you say, I just pray. I pray anything and, and God will do it. That's what you're saying. Just pray, pray anything. Pray for anything. That's what you're saying. And God will do it. Hold on, because this is important. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that he, we have the petitions that we desired of him. And maybe if you're of the skeptic sort, you're thinking now, oh, there it is, pastor. God could do anything, but he's not necessarily going to do anything because it has to be according to his will. Well, isn't that a good out for the Lord to be able to say, well, if it doesn't happen, then it wasn't according to his will, according to his will. But the answer to that is, well, yes, it has to be according to his will. He has said so in his word. But this is the key. If God doesn't answer your faithful petition the way you want, you can know for certain that he has something even greater planned for you than what you were asking. Do you realize that if you faithfully pray for God to do something great and he doesn't do it, that means it wasn't according to his will which means this, that he has something even 
greater for you. Say, well, pastor, can you prove that from the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm running out of time. Paul asked three times. That's right, three times to remove the thorn in his flesh. And by three times, I believe that was three stretching times without ceasing. And the Bible says three times the answer was this. I have something greater for you. What was that? It wasn't healing. You know what was greater? Grace. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul asked for healing. And God says this. I have something greater than healing. I have grace for you. So here's what it comes down to. If God doesn't answer the way that you have desire, that you desire that he has. Let's try this again. If God doesn't answer the way that you desire, do you have enough faith that he truly has your best in mind? Isn't that what it comes down to? God didn't answer my request the way I wanted. You stretched out. You gave everything to that prayer request. And he didn't answer the way you wanted. Do you have faith that he's actually good enough? That he has something better for you? And the problem is for most of us, we don't. Because we think that the request that we made is the way it needs to be. And if he doesn't answer the way we want, do we trust him? Lord, you were so good that you have something even better in mind than what I was requesting. Now, that doesn't mean it's always pleasant. For Paul, it meant more pain. But in that unpleasantness was something so great that could have only come from God, and that's grace. Are you willing to not get that big request, but to pray it anyway? Because you know if you pray it and he doesn't give it to you, that he has something better for you in mind because he is a good, loving, and caring God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.